Hello there, everyone, and welcome to HPAC on the Air, the monthly podcast of HPAC Engineering Magazine. Our special guest this month is Dr. Lindsay Marr, a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Virginia Tech. She's an expert on indoor air quality and has emerged over the past year as one of our industry's most prominent and reliable voices of reason during the pandemic. Uh, She'll be interviewed here by our own environmental expert and proud Virginia Tech alum, Larry Clark, author of our popular Clark's Remarks columns. So welcome, Dr. Marr. And Larry, here's your hokey handoff. Uh, Please take it away. Great. Thanks, Rob. And uh, thank you, Dr. Marr. Uh, for taking time to be with us today. We do recognize how incredibly busy your schedule is these days. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic pushed your specialty, aerosol science and the airborne transmission of viruses, and you into the spotlight. Can you tell us about your pre-pandemic research that led you to becoming, as the New York Times so succinctly put it, quote, our tour guide to the invisible world of airborne particles, end quote, and how your daughter starting kindergarten encouraged you to pursue that interest. My background was in studying air pollution and specifically particles in the air. And I started becoming interested in virus transmission around the time I had my first child about 13 years ago um, and sending him to daycare and recognizing how often he and everyone else in the in the childcare center in the rooms became sick and these diseases would just spread like wildfire and more than half the kids would be out at once. I knew the daycare center had very good hygiene practices with hand washing and cleaning. So I I started wondering if maybe these uh, viruses were being transmitted through the air. I uh, did some reading about it and was surprised to know, learn that we didn't know, nobody really knew. And it seemed like the, um, the way that transmission was being described was was uh, totally inconsistent with my understanding of how particles move through the air. Um, so since then, I've kind of dedicated more and more uh, research to studying how viruses move about in the air and how well they survive. Okay. Although you were fairly well known in the scientific and engineering communities prior to the pandemic, this past year has also seen you become a bit of a celebrity in the mainstream media. And uh, as your email message pointed out, you've been overwhelmed with media requests, speaking invitations, consulting opportunities. How has that affected your academic life at Virginia Tech? Are you still teaching classes and working on your own research projects? Uh, the past 16 months has been a real whirlwind. They talk about uh, you know drinking from a fire hose at times. I felt like I was drinking from 10 different fire hoses. Um, but in terms of teaching, last fall, the university uh, excused me from teaching because I think they recognized that I was spending so much time really teaching the world about how viruses uh, transmit through the air. And th- this knowledge was just not out there and there were very few people in the world who have studied this. And so I knew early on in the pandemic that it would be important for, for me to, to really educate people about how viruses were really moving through the air, not how people thought they were moving from person to person. Um, so we redirected my group's research efforts to looking into cloth masks because it became clear to me early on that those were going to be important. I, had, I knew the literature on those and that there was very little 
that there was uh, there had been a, more studies on N95 respirators and surgical masks, but very little on cloth masks. So we redirected some of our research toward that question, um, and then uh, otherwise, I in a way I kind of neglected my graduate students, which I feel terrible about, but because I was spending so much time doing media interviews and really working with other scientists around the world on papers, commentaries, letters to get the right information out there and to really try to help the public health authorities recognize how the virus was really transmitting. Okay. So last May, Science published a seminal article that was co-authored by you and I think more than three dozen of your colleagues. Um, it was entitled A Paradigm Shift to Combat Indoor Respiratory Infection. And one of the actions recommended in that article was for ASHRAE and its European counterpart to improve their ventilation standards to, as it was stated in the article, quote, explicitly consider infection control in their statements of purpose and definitions, end quote. In February 2020, ASHRAE reaffirmed their position document on airborne infectious diseases that I think had been approved in 2014 and was set to expire in August 2020. However, a month later, it was replaced with the position document on infectious aerosols. As a longtime member of ASHRAE myself, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what specifically they should be doing going forward. Well, I'm actually on the uh, ASHRAE committee to update the position document on infectious aerosols. So we are discussing this, this very moment. And, you know, in terms of ASHRAE and the European counterpart, I think that it's time now for these organizations to come up with more specific recommendations about uh, ventilation and filtration standards to uh, counter the spread of infectious aerosols. And it's gonna take some time. The, uh, you know, the scientific literature base isn't quite there yet in terms of specific numbers to recommend. Um, but it's getting there, you know, accelerated by the pandemic. And I think, you know, even after those, those standards are recommended or guidance comes out, then it's up to building codes, um, uh, public health agencies to really adopt those and enforce them. Well, I'm glad you mentioned filtration. Um, I've seen data in the technical literature suggesting that increased filter efficiency is effective at almost any airflow rate in reducing the relative infection risk from those airborne viruses. Uh, for example, in one of the graphs that I saw, HEPA filter performance when it was plotted against infection risk was nearly flat from one to six air changes per hour. And MERV 13 filters, and in fact, even MERV 11 filters were nearly as flat. Do you have any thoughts on that? There's. I, you know, the, the research is still kind of growing in this area to address these exact questions. Um, in terms of HEPA filtration, I would expect that its efficacy will depend on the ventilation rate, of course. If you have low air changes per hour, then the HEPA is more important than if you have higher ones. Um, and then in terms of MERV numbers, they, uh, I, I believe, Dr. Shelley Miller at the University of Colorado is looking into this, but I, I think some preliminary results indicate that at least for the, the sizes of particles that we're concerned about for respiratory virus transmission, that MERV 11 may be, let's say, similar in performance to MERV 13. 
but uh, the, there's this is this is an area again where I think we need more studies before we can say anything definitive more definitive. Mm. Well, as a sustainability professional, I'm obviously concerned that both increasing ventilation rates and uh, using higher filter efficiencies have a significant energy penalty. Um, as an environmental engineer, are you concerned that we're losing ground on the HVAC industry's energy efficiency improvements over the past years? And what do you see uh, and how do you see the industry balancing health and safety against sustainability going forward? Yeah, that's exactly the, um, the, the hurdle that we face, or the, let's say it's a challenge and an opportunity. So, but, you know, we've been concerned, uh, I guess, ventilation and filtration uh, guidance has been driven by thermal comfort, of course, and then energy considerations. But now we need to add this, this third consideration to the mix of, of kind of infectious aerosols. And obviously, if you're increasing ventilation and filtration, then you're increasing energy costs. So I think we need to get, it's an opportunity to get creative about how we can align those two goals better so that they're not necessarily in direct opposition. And this, this I think, requires a big rethinking about how we are, how we're providing ventilation um, and other, you know, air conditioning services to our buildings. So I, I, I recognize that that is a big challenge. Yes. Well, last week, the, uh, the Tokyo Olympics announced that there would be no spectators allowed at the games, um, obviously for, for health and safety reasons related to COVID-19. Of course, the CDC announced on July 9th that masks would likely not be needed in schools this fall when they open, at least for fully vaccinated staff and students. And I have to ask you this, uh, Rob's wife is a teacher, and I know this, uh, this is a big concern to him. So those headline, headlines, when they're seen side by side, seem to send a mixed signal to the public. As a mother of a student and an academic in this area, how do you gauge where we are right now? I think uh, we have to consider the context of those two uh, recommendations. One with the Olympics, we're talking about a country where the vaccination rate is quite low and we're bringing people from around the world with whatever carrying, whatever potentially carrying, whatever variants that they're bringing from different countries into one place and mixing and bring, potentially bringing tens of thousands of people together, not just in the venues to watch the events, which they're not doing anymore, but they would also be mixing on public transit and uh, you know, in restaurants, you know, in other kind of the associated activities with just watching the event. Um, so, so in that case, I think it is, it was a good decision to, uh, to not have spectators, especially with case numbers uh, rising right now in Japan. Now in the US, we're in a different situation. Um, although even within the US, it's highly variable depending on where you are, but vaccination rates in some places are, are high. Um, in others, they're much lower, unfortunately. And you know, I, I know that there are cases are, are rising right now, for example, in, in some of those states, especially in the South where vaccination rates are low. Um, and so in those cases, then the, the public health precautions such as avoiding crowding and wearing masks are, are needed to help prevent further growth in numbers of cases. In terms of you know, me as a mom of, of an unvaccinated child going back to school, I expect and hope that the, the, 
they will be wearing masks. Um, uh, the unvaccinated people in school, uh, I think right now our county has no, in the past week, had no new cases. So, you know, in those types of situations, then going back to school, um, I think is, is, is a, uh, we need to be doing that for the benefit of the kids and, and you know, the broader economy. And that I think we can do that with the right public health interventions in place, uh, depending on what kind of the local caseload is and what the local vaccination rate is. Mm, that's interesting. As both an academic and a practicing engineering professional, how do you think the overall profession's response to this crisis has been? And uh, what important lessons do you think we've really taken away from this? And what do we still need to learn? Kind of just the 20,000 foot overview. So I am an academic. I, in terms of practicing, I, I have very limited practice. I've been communicating science and making science-based recommendations, but um, uh, my practice is limited to research on academic buildings. But I think, um, I think the profession from what I've seen has you know, responded well to recognizing that the, the virus is being transmitted through the air and that there are things that we as engineers can do in our buildings to help reduce the risk of transmission. So that's been encouraging to me. I think there's uh, maybe people in other fields which have been more a little bit more recalcitrant, um, but, but I've been encouraged by what I've seen from, from practicing engineers. And in terms of moving forward, um, you know, the, the pandemic's not over. It may feel like it's over in the U.S., but, uh, you know, it's still raging around the world. Uh, we don't, uh, the vaccination rate has, is kind of lower than we'd like it to be. So I think we're still going to see cases. We still live with colds and the flu. Um, and if we, uh, you know, I think if we do start devoting more attention to uh, with our buildings to kind of reducing transmission of infectious aerosols that we could really make a dent in those too. And, you know, the flu kills an average of 30,000 people per year in the U.S. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not trivial. And if we, if we can, uh, you know, maybe these, these diseases seem like a nuisance, but, uh, you know, maybe we can actually get beyond them and so that they're, they're much rarer than they are now. Wow. Listen, Dr. Moore, Mar, we really appreciate your fitting us into your schedule today, and uh, we're going to respect our commitment about the amount of time that uh, we said we would take. But as a Hokie, I have to ask you one last very short question. Is your schedule going to let you get to Lane Stadium for some football this fall? Luckily, things have uh, have calmed down, I think, as, uh, as the knowledge has gotten out there. And so I do hope that I'll have time to, to go see the Hokies um, play some football this fall. Great. Thank you. Rob, back to you. Well, thank you both for that illuminating discussion. Um, even though I'm a Virginia UVA grad, I still understood it. So I, I think I, I appreciate all of that. So perhaps we'll touch base again in a year or so to review our grades on this extraordinary test we're all taking. So Dr. Marr, thank you so much for your time. And Larry, thanks also for your assistance with this uh, special episode of HPAC on the Air. And everyone, if you like uh, what you heard here, please click and like and, and share this podcast with friends and colleagues. And to hear previous podcasts, please visit our growing media library at the members only section of our website, hpac.com. So thanks again for joining us, everyone. Take care and, uh, and breathe easier. <laughs>